welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. My name is Patrick. Hey, King Scott here, everyone. How's everyone doing? They can't answer you, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, it's early. We're a podcast that comes to you every other Thursday to talk about all things gaming. So whether you're at work or you're driving in your car or whatever you're doing, thanks for having us in your ears for episode 55. Scott, we got a lot of games to go over today. Dune Imperium Rise of Ix, that expansion. We got it to the table, a review, Return to Dark Tower, and a little adventure on the horizon coming to Kickstarter when this airs in like a week called Citrus. Got, got some good stuff today. Oh, I've been seeing Citrus popping up on my Facebook feed like mm-hmm. crazy lately. So, yes, that's going to be exciting there. Well, speaking of exciting, got the beta version of Nemesis Distress on my PC. Do you know about this? Have you heard of Nemesis Distress? No, uh, to be honest, uh, <laughs> you can go back to episode 50. I kind of checked out after Nemesis Lockdown. Yeah, you were so too So, I haven't really been keeping a, a track of that. Okay, so I, I get this notification, I get an email out of nowhere. It's like, hey, because you backed the all-in for the lockdown Kickstarter, you get Nemesis Distress, you get the early access. And I was like, ooh, video game. So download it to Steam, and I promptly realized how bad my laptop is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is a version of Nemesis that's played in groups online from a first-person point of view, complete with the objectives, the computer actions, and all those things that we love about the board games, or in your case, love about one of the board games. Uh, <laughs> and I tell you what, I'd love to tell you more about my experiences with it, but my laptop could hardly run games that are like 10 years old, let alone this. Uh, I can tell you what the load screen looks like. Oh, well, uh, that's, <laughs> hey, people don't realize the importance of a load screen. Well, I think the full Nemesis Distress game, or at least the first version of it, is going to be available to everyone at the end of May. Don't quote me on that. I did no research for this banter, but it's coming. And it looks pretty okay, cool. Okay, well, hey, uh, that's nice. I mean, it's good there that they're doing it. They're hitting all their bases, hitting the board gamers. They're hitting the video gamers. I mean, that's always a great sign of a company that really believes in their product and wants to do a great thing there. Speaking of great things, the next thing you got on here is some of the best news I think I've seen in a long time. Well, yes, and it it was very, very good to hear them once again. So, yes, the secret cabal is back. And, hey, Jamie, it's great to hear you. I know we're trying to work out some things here to get Chris on our show here and talk with him a little bit. Uh But, yeah, our paths are just going back and forth, back and forth. And with the news that they gave during that show... Chris is probably at a casino someplace right now, so who (laughs) knows? (laughs) But no, it's great to hear them back, hear their banter, hear their... It's it's just like having a group of friends back again. Great to hear them, and Jamie, keep up the battle, keep getting better, and hopefully we will see you at Origins. I tell you what, I can't wait till his voice is fully back. I want to hear him go, the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast! 
podcast. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I missed them. I really did uh, for th- what was three and a half months. I think we went without it, and yes. to be able to get that notification, hey, you got a new episode. <gasps> it's secret, cabal. Oh man, it's like a, it's like an old friend. I, yeah, that's that's the big thing, and that's something that I know that we wanted to do whenever we talked about making this podcast. It's just like those times whenever you go to a gaming shop, you're sitting around shooting the breeze, bleep, <laughs> just having a good time with friends talking about games you played and stuff like that. And that's such an important thing that people need. I mean, and having that ability to connect with friends is such an important thing there. So oh, yeah. I'm glad to be part of it. And I'm glad to have the secret cabal back and have our friends back again. I was at a little get together yesterday and my friend, other Scott, yes, you're not the only Scott. Well, there's uh, King oh, Scott and then there's Scotty. So he's Scotty. He's younger. So he gets the Y at the end of his name. <laughs> I saw Scotty. It was just like the first time in a year. I was like, Scotty, what have you been up to? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, it's so weird. Like I listen to the show. So I hear your voice every two weeks and it's kind of like we were hanging out last week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's cool. So that listeners, adventurers, if you have that with us, thanks. Thank you again for letting us be a part of your day. We really appreciate it. I know we talked about it, but are we still working on that uh, BGA tournament? Yeah, I think we're going to do it. I'm thinking some point in June, we're going to have a level up tournament. And I thought Seven Wonders Duel. So Ooh. let's just kind of Go back and forth because I haven't put too much time and effort in. So I figure, okay, you built the Discord. Like we have a Discord channel that we don't use at all. Yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. We we will not lie. We are still cavemen here whenever it comes to technology at times. But we do have some friends that know how to use that. So I, I'm pretty sure Discord is as simple as like being invite. Like you just invite a friend or you have someone join your community. So that's that's simple enough. The idea with our last contest, the Michelle contest, for example, uh, with building the guild, is it what you know? That's simple enough to use. That's like B- BGG is 20-year-old technology. I can handle Board mm-hmm. Game Geek. So I'm thinking maybe we make a post there. We want to do a Seven Wonders Duel tournament. I don't know what to expect, Scott. This could this could get no response. We could have eight people. We could have 16. We could have 100. I have no idea. But I feel like if we do a bracket-style tournament, it's a game that takes all of – what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to play for yeah, a couple? Yeah. And if you don't know how to play, adventures feel like, well, um, I, if you checked out because I said Seven Wonders Duel because you don't know how to play it, you taught me this game in three minutes, four yes. minutes. It's just not a hard game. We could do one-on-ones like a bracket, winner moves mm-hmm. on, loser's out. If we get 32 people, you know, what is that, like five rounds or something, uh, four rounds, and, and just go down to a winner, we could come up mm-hmm. with some kind of prize, even if it's a simple shout out, you get to play games all day. We'll put it on a Saturday. Uh, and honestly, if it's four rounds, it's such a quick game, it would take all of two hours. We could start two it hours, at yeah. X time and two hours later it's done. But if we do the Discord, I think that lets people talk with each other while they're playing and we can sort of do updates to the tournament as they're going. Like it, it's sort of the... We'll call it the lobby, the main room for everyone to, uh, to chit-chat. Like okay, it. so now we need uh, uh, Squirrel 22 and uh, and XYZ. You guys are, are the next game up. Uh, Got to create a game on BGA and, and have at it. It sounds like fun. Yeah, it definitely would be. We want to start out small. I mean, Seven Wonders Duel, quick game. Mm-hmm. We can play out a whole tournament in no time whatsoever. Right. Very easy to play. Then we can slowly start mounting it up and then get to that point where, yeah, Let's have a tapestry tournament or something like that then. So Do something it can build bigger. up from there. Yes. 
Scott, speaking of community, we have this format. Whenever we came up with a show concept, we wanted to be like the community-involved show where listeners get to submit their audio and we collect information for gamer, you know, from like polls of gamers. Now, we haven't done a poll in some time, but I promise mm-hmm. you, Adventures, we're getting back to them. We've just had a whole lot of adventures on the horizon and new things that we wanted to get to. So while our discussions have been down, the polls have been down, we are going to get back to them. But the listener submitted audio. This was something that I thought when we... When we incepted this show that, oh, you know what? This is going to be great. Every episode will have one or two like, hey, this is a random Joe that wants to talk about what he's been playing. And that hasn't really been what we've been – now, part of that's our fault because we haven't been asking for it. Like I used to play a little blurb like, want to share what you've been playing? And I haven't been playing that commercial, if you will. So what are we thinking with this with this user-submitted audio? Like I think I want to try and make that still happen – but even when we yeah. were trying, we weren't getting a whole lot of response. Now, we were a newer show. We have a bigger listener base now. What do you think? What What do we do moving forward here? I think it's something that would be a lot of fun to get that put in here. And it could be something that uh, I know before we started this, we were like doing a podcast. How exactly do we record ourselves and put ourselves out on the internet? Mm-hmm. How has that possibly happened? And I know that you made it very simple. Just go to the website Record what you have and send it in to us. Very, very simple. Maybe we'll have a little thing where we'll go on and talk about how to do it. We'll have that as a little section of our show one time just to go through it so everyone can tell what it is. Yeah, that's a good but idea. No, the important thing is is that we want to get feedback from people. It's great. I know that both of us, we love to tell people what we're playing because – We want to build up that excitement. Mm -hmm. We want to get people to find that little hidden treasure that they don't really know about that we've been really enjoying. Because I think as gamers, on a whole, you like to tell about those games that you play that you really enjoy and you want to share that with people. And that's such an important part of what we want to do. And we would love you to help us do it then as well. Right, right. Thinking of that, I'm going to go segueing right into our recent adventures, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say first, adventurers, we invite you to submit your recent adventure. If you have a game that you want to share, you want to talk about, like Scott said, go to the website. It's really simple to record yourself on your phone, on your computer, on your desktop. We can treat it. So if the audio doesn't sound great, we can actually make it sound that way. Uh, we'll put it on the air. You can tell. So you heard a, a review about Arc Nova and you know everybody's going crazy about it and you mm-hmm. just don't care for it. Be that voice. Submit that audio. Yeah. Say what you didn't like about it. We'll put it on level up. Scott, look at hidden- me. I talked about not necking Nemesis. So hey. <laughs> there you go. So you don't have to be worried about the backlash. Scott's going to take it all for that one. <laughs> so hidden gem, Scott. You say you've got one. Yes, yes. Yesterday I was scrolling through Twitter and I came across one where someone was talking about the best games that were from zero to five dollars. Okay. Right away, that piqued my interest. I'm like, what could this be? Well, it ends up that it brought me to this game called Voyages. And this is a roll and write game. It's designed by Matthew Dunstan and Rory Muldoon and published by Postmark Games. All right. So this comes out at being four pounds. So that's maybe five. No one knows that conversion. In US dollars, something like that. And what it is, is it's a little print and play game. And in it, you are going to be playing three different things. You have three different games already, and they're planning on coming out with more. Mm -hmm. So the first one that I got a chance to play was you are a merchant slash 
smuggler on the high seas. In voyages, you're traveling through a small section of the ocean. In order to play, you will roll three six-sided dice. These dice will represent your direction, your movement, and your duties you had to perform on the boat. Duties. So you have a little map that you have. Mm -hmm. Did you just say you have a map that you have? I think I did. Yes. (laughs) This is harder than people think. We are not trained professionals. Trust me. (laughs) But yes, you have a map. Uh Now then, when you roll your dice, the first die is your direction. On the map, you will have a directional compass that you will decide where you want to go. So each one of them, one, two, three, four, five, six, will show a different angle that you want to move in because each spot you can move in is a hexagon. Hexagon, six sides, six-sided die, put it together. The next die will determine how far you will go. Mm -hmm. Now, the importance of these are that there are islands and deep sea areas to explore and also areas of water where you can upgrade your sailors or on board and pick up goods to sell at different islands. The duties part is the final one. Duties. Okay, I was waiting for it. (laughs) (laughs) The duties, that's a section on the board that will give you a place to do the day-to-day duties that you take care of during your voyage. Mm -hmm. The duties are squares that you cross off the number of the third die. Once the column or row is filled in, you will get a bonus. Could be a legendary sailor. It could be a good that you can sell at uh, one of the islands. It could be one of the stars that you're trying to get to finish the game. Mm -hmm. I've been talking about the sailors, and the sailors perform a very important role in this game. So you are confined to three die rolls. So you roll the dies, and they may not be what you want. Well, each one of the sailors you can use to change your die facing up one or down one. And then I did mention that you have legendary sailors. That can be a wild. So you can change it to whatever die side you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Now, once the game is over, once you've done 16 actions, you figure out your score. Now, being a roll and write and being something wide open, well, this can be played, as they say, from one to 100 people. So everyone can have the same map and they can all roll one set of dice, but they're all going to use it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So once someone collects three of the legendary stars, that signals the game end and everyone gets one final turn. After that, whenever you go through that, you're going to be doing things where you're going to get points for each island that you went to. You'll get points for each part of the deep sea that you explored. You'll get money for the cargo that you sold, how many unused sailors that you have left over, and whoever has the highest score is the greatest sailor around. It's really simple. It's a nice little puzzle game. It's not going to take you very long, five, ten minutes, but it's one of those games that whenever you're, I hate to say this, but if you're sitting at work and your mind just kind of like gets in that (laughs) fog and you can't think, it's one of those things that kind of stir the fog around Get your mind going in a different direction and give you that that little boost during your coffee break to get you moving and get back to uh, work and being productive. Hey, if you're supposed to be watching your kids or, you know, if you're on a long – if you're driving a car, this is a nice way to pass the time. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know about driving car. Riding in the car, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, it's so simple. It's one page that you need. That is it in three dice. 
you draw on the the thing, and I actually went out and bought a laminator yesterday and laminated Ooh, the map. So fancy. I've been dry racing to my heart's content last night. I've been playing this thing nonstop all day yesterday after I found it. Okay, I gotta know. If I can just print it up, why do I have to pay five bucks? Can't I just find a sheet and print? Like, run this past me. It's a print and play, but it's also five bucks. I assume that you pay five dollars for the PDF or the download file. Well, yes, you get the file, you get the rules, you you can actually print up a box if you want to print up a box for it later on. But they are going to continue to come out with new ones. So each time a new one comes out, get a different you get map, the, get the different PDF setups at the one. bottom, different duties. Yeah, they're duty yep i had to do it that time love it but yeah there are ones here where you're vikings on one where you're going around trying to find bounties on different ships and trying to sail around Mm. and attack different ships so it's really really simple with a different game each and every time that you play it i'm checking out this designer matthew dunston he's uh, one of the two ryan matthew dunston and rory muldoon i looked up matthew this dude's got some credits to his name 61 credits on bgg including monumental pioneer days elysium and Chocolate Factory, amongst the other 57 listed there. So this isn't some guy that created a game in his basement. Not that there's anything wrong with that. This guy's got some 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 pedigree. Yeah, and the design for the map that you have is really top-notch. Looks pretty. It really looks great. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. They definitely put a lot of thought into this one. Hey, adventurers. This is the part when you listen to other shows where they ask you for your money. This is when they tell you they just couldn't make their content without the help of your wallet. At Level Up, we do this because we love gaming and we want to share our thoughts and we want to hear yours. So keep your money and use it to buy some games. We still love your support, though, and the best way to show it is to rate us with five stars in iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback we've had. The input from our listeners has been tremendous and we can't thank you enough. Our one request is that if you're enjoying the show, the old games and the level back episodes, the adventures on the horizons, interviews with designers of upcoming Kickstarters, reviews, solo adventures, giveaways, the Academy Lost Loot, and more. Please take three minutes of your time and give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And now, back to the adventure. Well, lately, Scott, I've been putting a lot of thought into Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. This was a video game released by Gearbox. The idea in in Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, as opposed to good old Borderlands, is that you're stuck in a cave within the Borderlands with Tiny Tina, a character from the game. And it's basically a first-person RPG. She has everyone playing a role-playing game. I've been stuck on Borderlands since, geez, since we talked about it with Mr. Torg's Arena of Badass. Oh, yes. Back then, I was looking up to see if there were any existing board games besides the arena that uh, that maybe I could tickle that Borderlands itch on the tabletop. <laughs> and I found one, a 2019 game by Adam McCrinnan and Nerdvana Games. It's a game called Borderlands Tiny Tina's Robot Tea Party. Okay, I I really want to hear about this one. Fans of the video game franchise are going to be familiar with Tiny Tina. She's a sweet but not so innocent child with an affinity for explosives. The theme of the small card game involves another familiar character called Claptrap. Fans of Borderlands will be very familiar with Claptrap. He's a funny little robot that looks like a box with a wheel under it. In this card game, your objective is to build a Claptrap unit. You're going to start with a body card in your play area and five cards in your hand. A turn is really simple. You play a card on anybody's Claptrap unit. So an arm, a hat, whatever. Then at the end of the turn, you're going to draw back up to five cards from a shared 
deck. Now, everybody's Claptrap is different. So someone might have one that's got the pirate version, while somebody else has the wizard Claptrap. And the pieces being added to these units need to be specific to it. So the pirate Claptrap wants the pirate hat. But somebody else might play the gentleman hat on my pirate claptrap or the wizard hat on my pirate claptrap. And I have to use a card that will get rid of it. And play is just going to keep going around. Play a card, draw a card, play a card, draw up to five, etc. Until somebody has completed their claptrap with all of its specific parts. The two arms, the wheel, the hat. And then the game ends and that person is the winner. What did you think about this one, Scott? Now, looking at it, I do remember it. Now, I, I apologize for having a momentary senior moment. But yeah, this was a fun little game. This is a great little filler game. It's just a fun game, a silly game. I mean, it takes you back to those little things of where you have the books whenever you're a little kid, where it's split up in three different things, and you have a different head and different body and a different feet for each one. It's like, oh my God, here's a whole different one, and I just changed the body. It's a lot of fun doing it, a lot of fun playing it. I remember the pirate one and getting the big cannons for the arms. That was a big <laughs> thing there. I want the big boom-boom arms. It's a fun game. It's not one of those ones that you're going to anchor a whole game night on, but it's still one of those games that, yeah, we're going to play it a couple times, just get some laughs going, kind of rub the rust off of the joints and everything of your mind, get into that really deep game you're going to play. Scott, I think adventurers are about to learn the differences between us a little bit more. Okay, let's hear what you thought about it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> I was completely, completely unimpressed with Tiny Tina's robot tea party. I, you know, it just, it didn't do anything clever. It didn't make me feel smart, dude. It's play a card and draw a card, and right. that is, and then there's random take that sorts of things which happen, which I kind of like in my games, but in games where I have some agency or I can plan for it, you know what this reminded me of? What's that? Flux. And I know some oh, people love Flux, yes. some people hate Flux. I think what I mean is that this is a game that happens to you. You don't happen mm. to the game. You don't have any difficult decisions to make. You don't have crossroads to navigate. Whatever is the correct play is almost always obvious for each player. So you just kind of sit back and you're like, draw, okay, I'll put this here. Draw, okay, I'll put this here. Draw, okay, until the game is over. I, I mean, all that aside, the game's functional. Here's the mm -hmm. other issue. I could see where a younger group or a super casual group could get a kick out of this, but the Borderlands theme? Why? Like, who's this meant for? I, Borderlands fans aren't going to want to sit. They like first-person shooters, so they're going to sit around drawing a card and playing a card until a winner's determined. Gamer gamers that happen to know of Borderlands, well, we know of good games, too. We're not going to sit around and, I'll draw a card, play a card, draw a card. Play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it could be that this was my first time learning it, and you've played it a few more times, and you've gotten more of a feel for it. So I think it was just my initial play of that was learning it and trying to keep the rules in my mind and play the game out. So I just played it once. So the one time I played it was great. You so know, maybe we were playing with time. Tom, and, and, and typically when we're playing together, games tend to go up a tick in our book because we have the camaraderie of each other, you know, like exactly. we could be playing yes. a terrible game and it's, we're still going to have fun with it. I, maybe that's a factor here. That very well could be. Yes. Well, I found it used for all of three bucks. I currently have it listed for sale for all of three bucks. No bites yet <laughs> <laughs> for me. And probably for you, dear adventure is you're the type of gamer that tunes into board game podcasts. This is probably a hard pass. Uh, well, hey, uh, not everyone is going to be a winner. 
Well, Scott, let's flip things around. Let's talk about one that's not a disappointment, one that we've both now had the chance to play. I'll let you take the floor. Tell the adventures all about Dune Imperium, Rise of Ix. Oh, uh, <laughs> sand, the spice, all that glorious stuff there. Uh, yeah, so uh, adventures. I think you might know from past episodes, I kind of love this game. It's kind of special to me. Scott, is this your favorite game? Uh, I've never asked you what your favorite game. Do you have a favorite game? I don't like to have a favorite game. I like to have like maybe five favorite games. I really can't narrow it down to just one game that's my absolute favorite. Okay. But this is up there in that little group. Yes, Dune Imperium, we've talked about it before. It's a combination of worker placement and deck building that just works so nicely together. Uh, whenever I first got it, it was not one of those things. I was really seriously worried about it because I thought... Yeah, you had some concern. The deluge of Dune games whenever the movie was coming out. Mm -hmm. And it looked like, oh, someone just slapped an IP on some sort of game here. The board's kind of lackluster it's not spectacular or anything so who knows but boy oh boy i mean the gameplay really worked for me amazingly well adventures we talked about dune imperium back in episode 35 if you want the full 8-bit breakdown that's where to find it with the rise of ix this has taken dune imperium and made it like oh i don't know what you want to call it a director's cut Mm -hmm. So it's added those extra little bits and say what you will about George Lucas and the Star Wars films, whenever he put those little things in there and stuff, this one here takes <laughs> the main board and adds another little section up there. It covers up a whole section and gives you a new one. This one ramps up things and makes your brain work in such a different way. People who've played this game before, you're familiar. There was the one uh, space up in the top corner where you could trade spice for money. Yeah. Ah, it's pretty simple there. Well, guess what? It's gone. <gasps> now then, you have to work for the money. You are working with getting things shipped out. <laughs> You're getting different uh, cruisers put together in order to go out. You have technical skills that you can add on that can help you win this game. There's so much more that happens that just changes the game. You have more fighters you can do. You have dreadnoughts that can come down and go, oh, yeah, this is my section of sand, and then just flex and get all manly and everything in front of everyone. <laughs> um, this does a great job of Keep your making shirt this game. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I, I didn't go all Hulkamaniac here. But, yeah, I really love what this did. It added a nice chunk to this game to make it a little bit different of a game, but not to the point where it's like, I don't want to play with an expansion. This just kind of changed the seasonings of the game. It that little more salt, all that touch of oregano that it needed. And it just really did a nice job of this. What were your thoughts? Well, let's on go that? over some of these ways that it's going to alter the game. Um, you've got some of the expected stuff, right? So we got new leader cards that you select at the start yes. of play. So we see that. That means you're going to have new signet abilities when you draw your signet card. That's cool. That, that signet in the opening deck coupled with your leader gives you a very unique way to play and you get more of those. So that's... That's mm -hmm. good. M more of a good thing is good. 
You got more cards yes. that can be added to your deck. Obviously, that's what you would expect. Some of the most profound changes over the inclusions. You mentioned Dreadnoughts. You've got Freighters yeah. and Technology. So let's talk about the Dreadnought. This functions like a fighter in the battle phase, but instead of counting as two fight power, it counts as three. And after the fight, so you resolve that fight down there in the bottom right corner of the board and all those little guys, oh, your cubes die, right? After that fight, the Dreadnought goes back to the barracks. He can be used again and again and again, and he's a plus one power. So you got to unlock it to be able to use it. Well, hey, we played this and I came in second, a very close second, and I never once touched a Dreadnought. I, I didn't have one. I never used it. Still came in second. It leads me to believe that you don't have to go that route to win. And I love it. It doesn't when break games the do game. That. Exactly. That's the great thing there. It's going to open up a strategy whereby you can attempt to unlock the Dreadnought early and count on winning battles. That was cool. The technologies, they're going to introduce a combination of one-shot abilities, recurring abilities, and end-game scoring potential. It's an easy implementation in the game as spice is harder. You mentioned spice. You can't convert it to cash anymore. So what are you doing with it? Mm -hmm. A lot of it has to do with the technologies. Uh, it, it's okay. Spice is how you're going to get the tech. Tech, obviously, it's yet another branch on the strategy tree that you can pursue. There's three, uh, three available in a market. Yes, yes. Okay, so if you see three endgame scoring conditions there at the very beginning of the game, you can work with those. If you see uh, two one-shot abilities and one, uh, we'll say a static effect, something that's going to affect you moving up, that's all different ways that you can play your game. And if somebody else grabs that tech you wanted, well, there's a new one flipped up. You got to pivot. Here we go, pivot! 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 You've got a whole new section of damn it moments just waiting to happen. <laughs> Scott, we also have a freighter track, which is as simple as moving your token up on a three-step track. Anytime the freighter symbol comes up for you, you can bump your freighter up one more, or you can reset it to the bottom of that track to gain all of the benefits listed on the right for each step that you have gone up so far. And I tell you something, I always say that I like when a game makes me feel clever. And I love when a game has those moments where I feel like I've done something super powerful. This is the track that makes me feel like I've done something super powerful. Have you had an instant yet where you've been at the top of that track and you get to reset it to the bottom and collected all those benefits? No, because I am a horrible person because I <laughs> oh, yeah. get into my mind and I start overthinking things. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get up there just in time to lose the game. So I get up so far and I'm just like, okay, screw it. I'm just taking one. You I get got. nervous. And... Oh, yeah, I get super nervous in this well, game. Well, you don't have and, to go all the way there, to the top. I know, but that's one of the things there that gets me that I like this game. If this, if the game makes you nervous, you know it's getting in your oh, head. Oh, you got the and tension going. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I don't think that you need to be at max capacity here and do a reset to win. But, man, if there's two people neck and neck, this will put some over the top. Max capacity, you're going to get a tech card for cheap. You're going to get two troops. You're going to bump an influence and you get your choice of either five Solari or two Spice. Fans of the game and people who have played it, which I think at this point is probably most gamer gamers, right? You know, that's a lot. That is a lot of triggers for one occurrence in the game. Yes. And if nothing else, it gives you a great like, <sighs> moment that you can breathe just for that little moment that you get all that stuff uh -huh. until you get all that tension built up again so yeah it's they, they work things in so well in this game 
Don't forget, the rules have an epic mode now. Also, they altered the gameplay a tiny bit with epic mode if you opt to do that. There's a few changes it set up, and you play to 12 points. So yes. if you're one of those folks who feel like, oh, man, you know, the game ended just as I was getting my engine going. Well, they give you a way to extend your game a little bit and make it a little bit longer. I thought that was kind of cool, too. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And I believe that you start off with five troops to begin with instead of three. In Epic? Yes. Sweet. So, yeah, so you get a little bit extra there. So, yes, everything is going to be built up. And you get an extra card that's only playable during Epic modes of play. Scott, when this came out, the, it came out right around the same time as Lost Ruins of Arnak, and they are two similar yet quite different games. This one has a little bit more resource management, whereas I think Arnak had a little bit more of the squeeze, a uh, little more juice out of that lemon. Mm -hmm. A lot of reviewers were taking a, an approach of like, oh, which one's better, Arnak or Dune? Arnak or Dune? Which one do you like more? Now, granted, Adventures, we haven't played the uh, what is the expeditions and the, the, the expansion for Arnak. We haven't played that one yet. We've just played base Arnak. We reviewed it way back when, and we've done Dune. Now with the expansion, Arnak or Dune? If I had to say that, I would say Dune. Mm -hmm. And that's based wholly on that I've played a lot more. I haven't gone back to Arnak, which I would love to go back and play that again. Get a feel for it. Because... Whenever you're playing that first time, you're still kind of fumbling through the rules and trying to get your idea of how you want to play things. So you don't really get the chance to enjoy the game yeah. and let it breathe. You only had a couple, and, two or three plays, what, a year ago now? Yeah. In Dune Imperium, yes, we did let that one breathe. I have let that one breathe a lot. So I would definitely say Dune Imperium just because... I love the theme of the game. I love the combination of the deck building and the worker placement. It just works out well for me. And whenever I'm playing it, I see those illustrations and it, it builds the movie in my mind. So I really, really yeah, do enjoy that. Yeah, you got that theme there. going too. Which one do you prefer, Arnak or Dune? It's weird. I bought Arnak, you bought Dune. And I don't know about you, mm. but I have a tendency to like the games that I own more. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I bought sure. this. I have a vested interest in this game being good. You know what I mean? Like you tend to give a game a break or two when it's one that you spend money on. I don't know why that is, but I think a lot of people do that. And I can be guilty from time to time too, but. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to give the edge to Dune. I mm. just think it's slightly bit. Now, granted, this isn't like, oh, do get Dune. Arnak's terrible. You know, I, I think there's room in a collection for both, quite frankly. They're different enough that, yeah, have both. But. Man, I think the deck building being a little bit more robust in Dune is what keeps sucking me towards it. Or Arnak, you buy a card, it goes on the bottom of the deck, and you'll see it maybe twice in the game. Dune, you have a little bit more opportunity to mold your future turns based on those early purchases, and, and I really like that in a game. So uh, while it's not go with one over the other, it's very much a 1A and 1B, man, I'm still loving Dune. <laughs> I think the scope of it, if you take it, like I was saying about the illustrations and building the movie in my mind, it's almost like Dune is a widescreen release and Arnak is more of a pan and scan. So you have a smaller screen you're playing with because mm -hmm. you're kind of dealing with that one adventure in Arnak. Dune, you're dealing with a whole big planet. It's got the epic scale. Like and now it's got it official exactly. in the yeah. expansion. Yes, it does. <laughs> Dune Imperium Rise of Ix. Running low on supplies during your adventures? Don't want to shell out too much coin to gear up? Level Up's got your back. 
We've teamed up with Tabletop Tycoon to get listeners of the show 10% off a couple of the biggest titles they carry. First up, Nemo's War. You've heard our thoughts on this one. A grand strategy game jam-packed with meaty decisions, and the theme here, oh, I tell you what, it tells a story every time you play. Plus, Everdell, an early review here at Level Up and a personal favorite for both of us. If you don't have it, you've got to get in on it. Look, not many games get multiple expansions after they release, only the best. And Everdell, it's one of them. The perk, just for you, is 10% off Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition just by using promo code LEVELUP2022. You can visit their website at tabletoptycoon.com or click the link on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Add any of these gems to your cart, that's Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition, and use promo code LEVELUP2022, all caps, no spaces, for 10% off. Get these games on the table and level up. Scott, we often understand the Cthulhu mythos in board games. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Here's my impression of what it means to be like based in the Cthulhu world. You ready? All right. It's a free IP, right? Uh, Yes, yes, yes. We got monsters that are going to end the world. Yes. Sprinkling cultists and investigators and someone Mm -hmm. might go mad. Right. And it mostly takes place in New England. Yes, and throw in a few tentacles here and there. That is the extent of what I understand and know about Cthulhu and Lovecraft and all that mythos. I'm pretty much with you there on that. Okay. Okay. Excellent. We're not alone. And you know what? I I think that a lot of listeners, there was a long time where if I heard Cthulhu, I was like, eh, this board game has got to do something really special because I don't give a crap about Cthulhu. I looked up a little bit about Lovecraft. I was like, well, let's broaden our horizons a little bit. Let's learn a little bit more. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. His mom and dad were both separately committed to the same mental institution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Act like you know that. Did you know that? I actually watched a – they had a biography documentary about Lovecraft I just watched about a month ago. Oh, oh, well, this is all fresh. I should have made you do this. Scotty wanted to be a professional astronomer, but Lovecraft never finished high school. Right, yeah. I don't know how exciting or interesting this is, but I found out that he rarely, very rarely went out in public during daylight. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was best buddies with Harry Houdini. Yes, that was an interesting thing there. So it kind of looks like where you would get the magic and the mystery part of things in his mind. Sounds like a character. I, I'll give it that. So we talk about all this Cthulhu stuff that I still don't much care about because I played a 2019 release from Renegade Games designed by Jordan and Mandy Goddard called Gates of Delirium. You ready for this one? All right. Let's. I, I'm taking a look at some pictures here. I want to hear about this gameplay. All right. We got our classic Cthulhu theme, which means some adventurers... <laughs> listening to the show, just leaned in with excitement, while others just relegated me to background noise. Uh, So my buddy Mike, he picked this up when we were at Black Lotus Pizza way back in our November meetup, and we got the chance to have a two-player game day not long ago, and Gates of Delirium found its way on the table. We got a game for one to four players, but we found it played really, really well at two. So what's going on in the game? Let's start here. Every card has two abilities, a sane and an insane ability. You just rotate the card upside down to see what the other half of it is, sane versus insane. You know which part you can play because at the start of the round, whoever's first player, they get to declare whether this is a sane round or an insane round. And if they say, oh, this is a sane round, you just 
kind of rotate your hand so that all the, the light color portions, the sane, here's what the card does when it's sane, is at the top. And you just see what they do. Simple, right? Right, right. I, I'm with you. Okay, so the goal of the game is to score the most points. The end game is triggered when a set number of gates have been opened. And in order to understand what's going on, we do have to explain a little bit about the cards and what's going on in the game. Same cards. Same cards are a combination of maps, which you need a set of four to score. So like one map might show southeast, another one says northwest, etc. You need four of them to complete a map. You've also got lost pages, which are simply a card with a number on it. Like that same half of the card has uh, what looks like a page and it has a number. You'll get two points for every one of those you just set down. Once you set it down, it just stays in play. It's done for the game. It's next to your player board. And you're going to get two points apiece. But four points apiece if you have a sequence. Like six and ten, they're worth two points each. But six and seven in order are worth four points each. So you're kind of looking to set collect and get four in a row, which in a two-player game was a lot easier than I think mm -hmm. it would be in, say, A4. Finally, same cards are going to let you add investigators to the map. Yes, we have a map. We've got a game board here depicting a map with the five or six regions where majorities are going to be scored when their respective color gate is opened. So the orange territory, it has majority scoring, but it's not going to happen until somebody completes the orange gate. And they very conveniently put the scoring on that that map piece. So if oh, you, if you right. have a majority, second place, etc. The flip side of the cards, this is where we're going to find the insane ability. This is going to range from replacing somebody else's investigator with one of yours, you know, flick All their right. meeple off the map and put yours on. Playing a card as a rune, which is basically just points. It goes up exponentially. If you have one rune, you get one point, two runes or three points, etc. Let's pause a minute for these gates. because Yeah, I was going to ask you about the gates. I know you're seeing this in the picture, those big swirls, right? Oh, Yes. Okay, let's uh, take the orange gate, for example. Suppose it takes six cards to complete the orange gate. When you play one of the orange gate cards, you're going to set it on the table. When you play the next one, there's literally like a small white line that shows the angle to place the next card on top of the first. Right, right. And there's a nut, like it's at an appropriate angle. So by the time you place the sixth orange gate card, it will form a complete circle. And it actually kind of, creates an image of a gate it's pretty neat that's what it looks like it's it's a very clever way of placing the cards there so when you complete a gate you release a monstrosity which for gameplay that just means you're going to get a bunch of points and it's also kind of a timer because when a set number of gates are complete the game is finished so there's a lot going on with the double-sided cards and the theme the important thing here is a lot of times with cthulhu mythos and lovecraft stuff it really gets into the whole idea of how much you feel you're being part of the game. Did you yeah. feel any immersion in this game or was it just, I'm going to put this here and put this here? Was it just kind of themed that or did you actually feel immersed in the game? No, I didn't feel immersed. It was certainly a mechanics forward game. You're okay. right. When you think Cthulhu, I think Mansions of Madness, second edition, where you got the app going and you, you can investigate the picture and it's making sounds and poof, you put that big mini on the board and it's, oh no. And then you're getting insanity, like, oh no, I'm, I'm going to be driven mad, right? You, you start to feel like you're actually in those little rooms. Here, it's a card game and it's a numbers game. And I found myself more interested in the set collection, be okay. it completing a map, a number of pages. Uh, I don't go gaga for Cthulhu. I I think it's a tired theme. And typically, like I said, if a game has investigators going insane, I'm more likely to be turned off from the theme than turned on. Okay. 
this didn't suck me in any more than others. I will say, I really like Mansion Madness 2nd Edition. You know, much as I don't care for Cthulhu, man, that got me. I, I was playing that in the dark in my basement. I was getting the jitters. I was scared. I got to get you to play Arkham Horror, the card game. The LCG, right? Yes. yes. Eh, so we'll, at some point. You got me on Marvel Champions, so that's okay. next. So that will be planned there in the, in the in advance. Now then, the other thing I got to ask now, I hear what you said. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by it. It sounds kind of cool. But did you like it while you were playing it? Um. Yeah, I liked it. it uh, honestly, wait, wait, I, wait, I, wait, 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 wait. Uh, yeah, that, that's not, that, no, that does not grab me and get you on your side of like, wow, he really liked it. It's, uh, okay. Yeah. Let's start here. It's not an overly complex game. It's relatively simple. Right. So you're going to be able to, to sit down and play it within 10 minutes of someone. And the, the tricky things like the crossroads that you might come to and the decisions that you make, they're not overly complicated. It's, it's a simpler game. I enjoy I enjoy playing this. It okay. plays in like 30 minutes, or at least it did with two. I think the box says 30 to 45, and that's we found that to be pretty accurate. I liked it, but if it was in my collection, it might find itself on the cell pile. Okay. It's got a theme that I don't especially love. The depth is kind of shallow, and it felt like and it felt like the next level of gaming in this box is paying attention to numbers and majorities mm. of what other players have. You know, I'm always talking about when I'll, I'll go right back to that. Like I want a game to make me feel clever and I want it to make me feel powerful. Those are the games that I gravitate towards and, and gates of delirium doesn't do that. It's very mechanical. It's, it's number space. It works. It's not a bad game. I enjoyed my plays. I don't know that it's one that I'd be seeking out to purchase. If you adventures like your game, short and sweet, calculative and, somehow Cthulhu themed on top of all that. I think this is a game that could be for you. It's just not for me. It's kind of tricky because it says it's, what did you say? One to four player. Mm -hmm. It looks like it really shines at two players. I think it's one of those things where if you go more than two players, the size of the board, it kind of gets lost in the table and the number of people that are around it. It just looks like something that, yeah, you would play on like an old wooden table with some candles around and everything and just Yeah, it's got like a rustic look. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it has a great look to it. But yeah, I mean it's it's something that I might try and check out sometime in the future, but here I'll have Mike bring it, it next time we play. I would like to play it at, at three or four. It was it was great at two. I had no issues right. with the two player game, but like the second, the second or third game that we played, I just kept laying down pages. So he's trying to build gates, and I was just like, "Okay, I got page five. Yeah, I got okay. page eight. Oh, I got six. Oh, I got seven. I got ten. There's something like twenty pages in the deck, and I think I had a run of eleven and a run of seven, and it was like seventy points just for like, I'll play this page. I'll play this page. <laughs> if you have three people, if I have the six and the ten, and I see that you have the nine. I'm never going to lock them up. Like when we play No Thanks, you have to be aware right, of what right. other people have played. I think that could become a factor. I think that would make it cool. And one-on-one, -on -one, a card that's like, okay, get rid of someone's investigator, replace it with one of your own. What is that? A 200%. So if we're tied two to two, now I'm up three to one. So right. that's a big swing. If there's three players, two and two and two, all tied, two investigators apiece, now it's three to two to one. Like, yeah, I put you basically out of the running, but this other guy's just one behind me. Like, it changes the dynamic. The, the amount of power that each card carries mm -hmm. is going to differ based on the player count, and I'd be interested to, to learn a little bit more. So maybe next time we play, we get Mike over here, we'll get some gates 
of Delirium. Sounds good. It's time for the top 100 update. Not a whole lot going on this time. Uh, Truth be told, we basically take this right from the BGG forums, and the guy that posts it has not been, so I had to do a little bit of research myself. Top 100, we've got a top 10 change. Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, which I was so disappointed that a past Twilight Imperium took over the 5 spot, has now taken the 4 spot away from Terraforming Mars. Jaws of the Lion is up to 4 Terraforming Mars down to five. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, in theory, if Gloomhaven is number one, Jaws of the Lion should be 1A, so it makes sense. I don't know if I love this more than uh, Terraforming Mars, though. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I think I need to, like, start a campaign. (laughs) We got three big movers. Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy is up to number 31. Arc Nova is up to number 37. Holy cow. And I finally got a chance to play it. I've been playing it on TTN. Okay, so the student has become the teacher. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, teacher Ryan wanted me to show him how to play Earth. So I actually taught a game on TTS. We played mm-hmm. Earth. Pretty cool. Then the next day, he's like, okay, now enough with that. I'm teaching you uh, how to play. So we did Arc Nova. We got started. We're going to finish our game up. And maybe in an episode or two, we'll get to talk about what every other show talked about two months ago, Arc Nova. Good stuff. The crew, Mission Deep Sea, makes its way up to number 79. Uh, that, that That's still – I haven't played that one. I've still played the old one. But just the trick-taking aspect of it, love it. Last thing of note, Isle of Cats bumped out of the top 100 as Kanban EV makes it in and sits at the 100 spot. Kanban is the one that I've always wanted to try, but I've always been spooked by all the people saying that it's like so, so hard to play. Scott, the 80s presented us with an electronic tower and a nice thematic immersive game, Dark Tower. Here we are some... I'm glad that that's all they'd introduced you to because I had a much different 80s than you did then. (laughs) Scott, the 80s ended and I was seven. (laughs) Oh, uh, the 80s ended and I was more than seven. Well, finally, here we are some number of years later. I didn't do the math. Restoration Games has brought back Dark Tower in the updated form. Return to Dark Tower. Today's review game. I'll uh, do a little walkthrough for this one. You ready? I am so ready. Designed by Tim Burl Soward, Isaac Childress, Noah Cohen, Rob Davio, Justin D. Jacobson, and Brian Neff, and published by Restoration Games in 2022, Return to Dark Tower tasks one to four heroes to work together, cleansing evil from the lands, defeating monsters, and undertaking quests before ultimately vanquishing the foe residing in the Dark Tower. To start the game, each player receives a board and a miniature, which will be placed on their quadrant of the game board, north, south, east, or west. In each of these quadrants lay four building minis, a bazaar, a village, etc., each with their own activations. A myriad of cards are set around the game board. These are cards like upgrades, skills, treasures, potions, and allies, all of which might be acquired throughout play. To begin the game, you need to first download the companion app. Yes, the game uses an app to facilitate the many functions that it might carry out. When in the app, players will choose the scenario they wish to play, 
the final boss for this scenario, and different levels of monsters that the apple assigned to the board. And I want to point out, these aren't generic decisions. The scenario is obviously going to shape your play of the game, but the final bosses interact differently, and even the monsters are profound variables in the scenario construction, making each play a little bit different. So what are you doing on a turn? It's actually quite simple. You're always able to move around the map based on your move value. Then you pick one of these options, cleanse, battle, or quest. And then finally, you can also visit a building. I think if I outline what those actions mean, you'll know what's going on in this game. The cleanse action allows a player to remove skulls from a building. See, if a building ever gets a fourth skull, it's removed from the game. If enough buildings are removed, the players will lose, so this keeps that in check. Battle is just a means of fighting a monster on the board. This requires selecting cards in the app, which tells you what's going to happen, typically losing a number of warriors. Finally, questing is quite similar to a battle, but it doesn't necessarily require warriors. Furthermore, they're flavorful to the scenario that you're in. Every so often, the app will provide two more quests for the players, and you put a little pillar on the space where the quest can be completed. When you go to that space, you simply click Quest in the app and follow the prompts to attempt to complete it. I mentioned that in your turn, you might also opt to visit a location, and that just means activating one of the four building types on the board. At the bazaar, for example, you can gain potions and treasures, while at the village, you gain warriors, etc., etc. Players will lose the game if one hero has taken three corruption. Corruption is simply a hindrance card that you suffer should you fail a quest, or lose a building to the skull tokens, or lose a battle. Players could also lose should they run out of skull tokens to drop into the tower. When players are able to take a quest action at the big bad boss location, it triggers the chance to defeat the final boss, once and for all, winning the game. Now before we break things down, I wanted to briefly detail the functions of the tower itself. First and foremost, it's going to provide some nice sound effects throughout play. Next, at the end of a player turn, now in most bad games, you have to click end turn in the app, but in Return to Dark Tower, you simply drop a skull into the top of the tower and the app knows that your turn is complete. These skulls then might fall out of the bottom of the tower or off of one of the side windows to be distributed to the buildings, and as the game ramps up, panels are going to be removed, making for more openings, which in turn means more skulls can potentially tumble out onto the board. Some panels, however, will reveal a glyph symbol, like the battle action symbol or the cleanse symbol. This simply means that when you're in that quadrant, taking that action is a little bit more costly. Finally, the inner portion of the tower is sometimes going to be triggered by the app to rotate, potentially shifting where the glyph symbols are showing, or perhaps jarring loose some skulls. Now, as with any walkthrough, there's more to the game, of course, than I just outlined. In this case, that means unlocking player powers, gaining allies, and more. But I hope this walkthrough gives you a general sense of what you can expect when Return to Dark Tower hits your table. Now, after 31 long years, a childhood favorite of so many has been updated and polished as we return to Dark Tower. So how did we feel about this one? Does the gameplay match all the bells and whistles? Let's find out in the 8-bit breakdown of Return to Dark Tower. For an age, the tower lay in ruins. Unbeknownst to the people of the realm, a great evil stirred in its bowels. It started with strange sightings. A flock of crows flying in circles until they dropped from the sky. The lake frozen solid in the height of summer. In time, they could not deny that which they most feared. The evil had not been vanquished. The darkness would soon fall again. 
the tower will rise. Patrick, thank you once again for the walkthrough of Return to Dark Tower. Mm -hmm. We're going to start with bit number one. Bit number one is art and components. What were your thoughts? Boy, they're top notch, aren't they? I'll, I'll share you my thoughts here in a moment. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that I get to go nuts here. So I get to ramble and then I'll, I'll take it back to you. So if I miss something, you elaborate. Oh, Folks, yes. Folks, if you haven't heard about this tower, here's what it does. It's going to light up on the corners. It makes sound effects. It communicates with the app. It distributes skulls back to the board. It reveals glyphs, which, as you heard in the walkthrough, is going to hinder your ability to do things. And it rotates inner workings. It's actually kind of funny. The app is like, the tower is about to rotate. Keep your fingers clear. I'm telling you what, first time I set this up, I thought that meant the whole thing was like I was going to look at it and the whole thing was going to rotate. Mm -hmm. That's not what it means because I was like, oh, no, did I buy a damaged one? No, it means the inner workings are going to rotate and they don't want anybody dipping a <laughs> finger in there. <laughs> Uh, I love, 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 love that this tower knows that your turn is over because you dropped a skull in. So when we're playing Descent or Destinies or so many of these games, it's like you click the button that says end turn. You don't have to do that. You drop the skull in and the app goes and events happen. So let's get to that app because that is a component here. It's going to provide players with placement of foes and events. It also handles combat, which theoretically, Scott, it could have been done with cards, but in execution, it really couldn't have. And here's an example. Fighting a level one bad guy means you pick two of the 10 cards shown on the app by randomly, you know, like by tapping on them, and then you resolve them to determine if you win. You have the ability to make a card weaker. So if I tap a card and it says lose 10 warriors, I can spend advantage. And now it's going to say lose only six warriors. Boy, that would be awfully hard to emulate with a deck of cards. And if that's not enough, throughout your game, the enemies progressively get stronger. So as the gameplay carries on, the combat effect of the cards, the one that said lose 10 warriors, might actually say lose, lose 14 warriors now. That, too, mm -hmm. is going to be really, really hard to do with decks of cards. You need hundreds of them. Look, I know some folks hate apps in their board games, this game would be way more expensive and it would be a chore to play. It'd be almost unplayable without it. Literally no part of Return to Dark Tower is made worse by having an app requirement. Aside from that, beautiful round board, nice and colorful. You got miniatures for the characters and the buildings. And they come with that wash, much like we see in, uh, in Unmatched. Uh, the version that we played, Scott, the version that I have, that's the base retail version. And I'm hmm. not sure mon monsters or chits in this one. I don't know if there's an upgrade, you know, if you've got like the special version, but the chits, they worked out fine. And the insert, the insert is fantastic. Everything fits in. It even comes with the page that shows you here's how you fit it in. If you don't have that page, you could probably figure it out on your own. To me, that's the mark of a well done insert. And I think I covered everything, right? You don't have anything to say about art and components now, do you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what I have to say about this is this is a bloated, overproduced game. Yep. That is absolutely fantastic to play. This is so over the top, but it is so much fun. The tower is ominous. The only thing that kept on going through my mind whenever we were playing it was the old 80s uh, sci-fi fantasy movie Crawl, 
where they had this dark tower. I think it was actually called the, the dark, no, the dark fortress. I think it was mm-hmm. that would just come up and disappear and appear somewhere else on the planet and just lay waste to everything nice. and disappear and come back and lay waste to everything. And that's what I got to feel for this. The app, like you said, it makes the thing blink. And whenever you're sitting there and you're waiting for the doors to turn around and everything, you're waiting. Is it going to open up and toss those skulls it's out tense, of me? It's tense, isn't it? Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Whenever it says you need to remove a door, you see all these flashing lights and everything. And you're like, what door? Don't be on my side. Don't be my side. Oh, crap. It's my side. And then you open it up and like, is there a skull behind it? But uh, but yeah, it's it's a great thing. Now, if I did have any complaints about it, mm-hmm. is that the monster tokens kind of get lost a little bit. So you are building your forces to combat things, and you just have a little chit for the monster. And whenever you put it on there, it kind of gets lost a little bit because I know bit. the number of times that it's saying like, "Look for the uh, the troll," and we're like, uh, "Is that no? That's not uh, the uh, there it is there." And it just kind of gets lost a little bit. So something and there are borders that's- from like the level one to level two. Do you notice it went from like gray to medium gray mm-hmm. to dark gray to red or to brown or something like the the level ones and twos? Yeah, there there was definitely some similarity there. I'll give you that. Yeah, they they get a little bit lost, but that there is probably the only one that I really have a problem with. Yeah, other than that, yes, like I said bloated overproduced game that is worth every bit of plastic and cardboard it's thrown in that box it's awesome let's talk theme and immersion we've got a baddie in a tower that needs to be drawn out and destroyed and it's up to we champions to do it this is mechanically a simple game but there's a lot of immersion going on here I think obviously when you have an app and a tower like that, it's going to suck you in. But more so than that, I feel like Return to Dark Tower doesn't bog me down with rules. A turn is moving, reinforcing, and choosing one of three actions. That's it. Now, that doesn't mean that the game's necessarily strategically easy. Uh, We had a hard time with it. Heck, our plays, we lost. But you will have to put some thought into your play. Your brain, however, is not going to be super taxed on, okay, what do I need to, okay, can I flip this card? If X, then Y, then Z, I need to think turns ahead. No, you only have three things to worry about on your turn. So you can just soak in the story. I love the bad guy quest and the good guy quest. So every Mm -hmm. month you're going to get a quest that, oh, if you don't complete this, something bad's going to happen. Then you have an ally quest. Complete this and either something good will happen or you'll gain an ally. And the neatest revelation in playing this game is that if you gain an ally, sometimes at the end of a turn, that ally is going to perform an action for you. Oh, the ally drives these people away or the ally gives you six warriors. You might not do that quest and you might not get that ally and you'll never get that part of your, quote, story on the table. So cool. Yes, yes. So many times whenever you're playing these kind of games, you have your hero going up against the villain. But it's the point that your hero is just this uber strong person that is going to go in and just hack and slash their way to victory. Mm -hmm. And this would here. You're collecting an army. I mean, the number of times that you go around and you're collecting 15 soldiers here or 20 soldiers there, and you need 100 soldiers in order to do the basic attack against the tower. I love the fact that you're gathering an army, not just the idea of 
you getting a couple overpowered magical items to take on the tower you have to gather that army to get against the go against the tower that was such a neat little addition there it could have been that oh you need to get a hundred uh hit points in order to attack or you need a hundred points worth of magical items to do it but the idea of getting a hundred different souls to go with you and fight it just made such a change and really immersed you into gathering the people together to fight this like you're amassing uh, the population to exactly take down this evil scott how do you feel about like an app giving you some like some background noise some ambiance if you will to a game now i've i've said in the past i'm not a big fan of the app but i agree with you it definitely streamlined the game and it added those little things with the lightning and the thunder and the sounds mm-hmm. in the background and everything. It really did add to the immersion of this game. It it was something there that didn't take you out of the game where the board was supplementary to the app in a way. They worked very well complementary to each other. Yes. So yes, yeah, they I did. think that was a big thing there. So not one or the other seemed like it was something tacked on. It felt like it was designed with them to work together, which really made it work out nicely. So we're going to call this a very immersive game. It's one that's going to tell a story without giving players paragraphs of story to read. There's implied story in the actions that we take and in the events that occur throughout play. You have the ability to soak it all in. And I was definitely soaked. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like the mechanics didn't get in the way of the gameplay not at all yeah well you know what that gets uh, us a little bit into complexity which was a happy accident that complexity is bit number three because it's the easiest segue on this list what did you think of the complexity of return to dark tower well like i said it was one of those things with the app is such a main part of it and it didn't distract from the game it makes the learning of the game quite simple yeah, like you said, with how you can power up against the enemies and it ticks down from 14 soldiers to 10 soldiers to 7 soldiers. Sure, they could have done that with cards, but that would have made it even bigger with it the would have number been fiddly of cards as hell. you have. Oh yeah, you'd be God. spending half your time like managing the decks of cards and whatnot. Exactly. That's where this app works so well together with the game. Whenever you have to put out new enemies, it will say, put them here. It's kind of fun because it tells you where it is and it will show you a section of where it's going to be, like how with the shape of the area that it's supposed to go in. Well, that's going to change my whole game plan now because now I have to go over there and fight them. Yeah, it's not a complex game, but it doesn't leave you wanting more. Yeah, it, it's not super light or it's not super simple. I'd call it smack dab in the middle of midweight. Yes. You see uh, any potential for edge cases arising? Because I didn't. Like rules edge case, like, oh, no, what happens if and when? Everything's really streamlined. I'm trying to think of anything that came up while we were playing, but nothing. Well, I don't think we ever had to look to BGG for anything, for any no, clarifications or anything. So that's a definitely a good shot. Got to say, it's a nice break from some of the recent heavier reviews that we've been doing with, with one that's squarely in the middle, easy to yes. figure out. Like we, yes. didn't, we didn't have to grok the rules for a day. Easy that's to figure nice. out, but not disappointingly simple. So it must lead adventurers to believe that the rule book is a good one. 
I'll do bit number for the rule book as I was the teacher here. This, Scott, is one of the best I've experienced. Everything's in large print on big old pages. Begins with some of the concepts that you'll need to understand, like, okay, here's spirits, here's warriors, you need to understand advantage. And then like those three actions, they're really, really simple, mm-hmm. yet they get an entire page. Like I was scared at first. The rule book was 26 pages. No, man, normally I open up a 26-page book and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's just large on account of the artwork and the examples that they scatter throughout. It's thorough and yet it's an easy read. You could sit down on the sofa and read this without the game on the table, put the rule book away and set up the game and probably not have to go to the rule book. Concludes with a small appendix and a competitive mode rule changes sheet if you opt to go that route. So, Scott, the learning curve. <laughs> I mean, it was just very simple. It was very intuitive how to play it. You have your player board, and it goes through the three sections of uh, actions you can take and it's what all you spelled can do out. for each one of them. I mean, it spells it out right there for you very, very easily. The ability to play it and see things on the board the map, the round board that you're playing on looks great, and it's very simple to figure out, well, I need to go there and there and there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Very, very simple. And once again, it wasn't one of those things where the mechanics got in the way of the game. It was very all. simple mechanics and very simple to get into it and play the game. So a simple game with easy mechanics, lower complexity, that makes me wonder, well, where's the meat? When I play a game, I want to feel like my brain's being put to task. I want to have an experience. That's the meat of a game. So in Return to Dark Tower, we've got a cooperative game, which I don't know about you, Scott, for me, that usually means there's slightly less meat than I'm going to like. Exactly. I think that stems from co-ops typically involving a formula where players manage resources and cards. And they just need to overcome the game's mm-hmm. pressure mechanism, which we, we do see that here. Oh, sure, sure. Typically, it's going to involve, in this case, gaining enough warriors to keep the baddies' minions at bay while gaining enough spirit to acquire cards and abilities, all in anticipation of that final fight with the big bad. This isn't as airtight as some other co-op. Like, this isn't Spirit Island. Uh, it, it's no. not – the pressure gives you a little bit of leeway. Like I felt like we could mismanage a turn or two and it didn't spell doom for us. Well, and the other thing too, I think is that whenever you're playing this one cooperatively, pretty much the whole time you were on one side of the board, I was on the other side of the board. So we were both playing for the same goal, but it was still kind of like we were still playing our own game. We had our own agency. Yes. I couldn't so quarterback bad. the hell out of you like I did in Leviathan Wilds the other night. I'm so sorry. I still feel bad about it. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but yeah, the meat of the game for me was the idea of gathering the army. That meant so much to me. And, and I go back to this with Dune whenever I talked about it before. It was building the movie in my mind. Mm-hmm. It was going from town to town and gathering up volunteers to join my army. Scott to was go Aragorn. Up against this tower. The pictures that I was building up in my mind as you lost your warriors and they had to gather them back up again. It was just such a ebb and flow of warriors coming in and going out and getting more fighters. It it was that it's there thematic. was the meat of the game. Yeah, very, very thematic. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Return to Dark Towers, a game that I think is going to appeal to people who like a storytelling game, a thematic, yes. cinematic game. 
And yet there's just enough going on with being able to upgrade your character in different ways, acquire different cards, have different advantages, visit different buildings, and the tower throwing in variables like those glyphs and where the skulls might come that there's enough gameplay that if you are not a thematic gamer, you're still going to get a big kick out of this, I think, from the actual mechanisms within. This is not really a storytelling game more than it's a cinematic game. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, storytelling like games, I'm sorry, storytelling games, I don't care for it, to be honest, because I'm not really into that idea of I'm going to construct a story of this character as it goes along here. I'm more in that the Battle of Helm's Deep, seeing the mass armies against each other. And that's what I'm getting whenever I'm playing this. I'm building that mass army. And whenever we get to that thing where we're attacking the tower, Hey, my God, look at that. There's the mouth of Sauron coming out to greet us. Only so in the extended version. And true, I would have true, gone with true. the Lord of the Rings extended version reference earlier instead of Star Wars, but carry on. <laughs> now, the replayability and variability. Now, this gets a little hairy with this one there. What were your thoughts on that? Well, we have some simple variables, such as like where the skulls are going to distribute from the tower and the panel removal, uh, but it goes a bit further than that. First of all, you get to pick a scenario, as well as the level one, two, and three minions, as well as the big bad that you'll be up against. These each have large decks of cards in the app to determine their combat. And they each act in different ways. Those frost giants kept wanting to go and put skulls on our buildings. Mm -hmm. That's very different from what other things might do. And as we mentioned earlier, the cards evolve as the game continues and the enemies get stronger. You have events throughout play at the end of the month. Events are going to provide you quests and dungeons to explore. That's not going to be the same every time. We had that hero that was uh, horseback and she kept like pushing things to the outer edges of the board. We could do the exact same setup and that ally might not become a possibility for us to gain. Mm -hmm. I do think a lot of games are going to find a similar arc where you're going to be up against a light threat early and an end game objective. You'll cleanse the evil as best you can. You're going to fight the baddies when possible, all while trying to get more powerful. You gain an ally or two. You're going to fail a quest or two, all leading up to that big fight against the final boss. That's the arc. That ain't going to change. There's nothing wrong with games that have an arc like that. It's only annoying, well, for me anyway, it's only annoying when we find ourselves doing the same things every time and the same events every time. That doesn't happen here. I will point out the equipment that you get, there's only six of them. The mm -hmm. upgrades, there's only three. Now, they're different per person, but there's only three and they're going to be the same three every game. The known variables are small in number because the unknown variables are volatile and they are truly unknown. For that reason, I think that if your group plays weekly, I think Return to Dark Tower is going to be a staple every few meetups, and it's going to take a long, long time before it grows cold. What do you have to say about the replayability and variability of Return to Dark Tower? Well, I have to agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I was a little upset. Well, let me go, I'll go into that you were a pissed. little bit later. <laughs> It is a little bit difficult whenever you only have six of the items that you can get because those were important for some of the things. You need to get so many of those in order to do some of the actions. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit difficult. But as far as the variability, yes, there's a lot of variability in this game because you don't know what's going to be coming up. You can choose your big bad and all their little minions to go along with it. 
and change it up so you could have bad guy A and little guy B, B, B. And then you could do bad guy B with little guy A, B, C. I mean, there's a lot of different things. You can it's do easy as one, here. two, three. It's, uh, <laughs> okay. it's something that you want to get together like – like you said, like once a month, get together and play it again. Like that's your big thing here. So like oh an event, God, it's return to dark tower night. Take your time and just let it go and let it breathe and enjoy the journey of playing this game. Well, Scott, you're starting to get into downsides a little bit. It sounds let's move to bit number seven. Any other downsides you find with return to dark tower? Well, there are two downsides that really uh, stick out in my mind. One okay. is the ability of only having six of those items. Yeah, it's, I wish there were more. That would be so much more because then you can kind of branch out in different ways. I mean, you have – I can't remember exactly what they were, but there's like a staff and a sword and some armor. Some give some advantages, yeah. Yeah, and it's just very basic things. Even um, that treasure deck wasn't super huge. I think there's like no. 24 treasure cards. Like, yeah, if you yes. wanted to mill until you found a specific one, you could. Oh, you could definitely do that. But then you've gone through everything and you're kind of like, oh, there's nothing left. Oh, it, it reshuffles. It reshuffles and goes Well, back. yeah, but I mean, you've seen everything. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the discovery can be low in, in, in those two respective decks of cards. Right. Absolutely. The other downside that really came to me as well was the big bads that mm -hmm. you had to fight against. Okay. You had those little towers of marking where they were going to be. And then mm -hmm. their little minions were just these little chits that you put out. Yep. And I just really had a problem with those chits. Just the idea of looking around like, um, let's, where is that one we're trying? Oh, there it is there. If they could have done a little bit more of a, a, a bigger chit, maybe. Or a bigger chit. More Scott, vibrant. just say it. You'd prefer a mini. Well, no, no, no. I, or a standee. Yeah, that that would be great. Uh, a standee would be perfect because that there, you just take off the base, flat it down, it fits right in there perfectly. I'd like to be able to just glance at the board and see exactly, okay, okay, we have a disc here, disc here, disc here. Mm -hmm. But let me see, like, oh, wait, we have the troll here. We have, oh, God, what was that blood-sucking thing or whatever that we were fighting against? I think it was called the blood-sucking thing. I think that was. I think that's technical term. It would be great to be able to just glance at the board and see like, all right, got that, got There's that. There's that one. That was my only downside. Other than that, it was really an impressive production. So I was really happy with it. Well, I got a couple different downsides. So we're actually hitting a few different aspects here. We find this in a lot of app-based games where the technology is controlling the random actions and events. And frankly, there's not much we could do to anticipate when something was going to happen. So at the end of my turn, I don't know if new enemies are going to spawn or where for that matter. I don't know if our ally might do something beneficial. I don't know if we need to remove a panel from the tower. I don't know if the panel's going to rotate. You just don't know. There's some inherent randomness whenever an app is controlling events like that, huh? Mm-hmm. In one of our plays, uh, you mentioned the Frost Giants, and I think it was that play that we had the Frost Giants out as an enemy. At the end of the turn, the app told us that anyone with less than X warriors, take a corruption. Yes. That was it. 
That was my third corruption. We lost the game. I had no way of knowing that corruption was happening. Now, next time, you know, sure, I'm, I'm going to remove corruption as soon as I get it. But the point is that sometimes a random thing is going to happen and it is devastating. Oh, yeah. And you have no way of knowing or predicting that it's going to happen or when it'll happen or where it'll happen. I, I suppose the point here is that oftentimes as gamers, we like to analyze what might happen, sort of see the cause and effect relationship play out on the board and have some amount of control over it. In Dark Tower, there's times when something bad just happens and there's no amount of skill that could have prevented – like Magic the Gathering. You draw your seven cards, no lands. So you mulligan to six, no lands. Finally, you keep a hand with four cards. Your lack of skill didn't make that happen. It just happened right. and you probably aren't going to win because of it. And <laughs> I think in Dark Tower, that can happen. Mother one, Scott, we don't talk about this much. That price is pretty expensive. It definitely is, but with what you have with the Bluetooth compa uh, compatibility mm -hmm. and that tower, in my mind, I kind of think that that one there is worth it. I think you get enough for your dollar that it makes sense. And, and we tend to avoid talking about value. It's subjective. A hundred dollars yes. is very different for me than Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but let's compare a board game to other board games. Now, Okay, I, I, I keep going back to Spirit Island. I, I mean, you can find Pandemic for like 25 bucks now. Uh, you can find Spirit Island with a couple of expansions and you're in for you know, $100, $120. Or you can get Dark Tower, which it isn't those games. This is a different game and it has technology and it has different things going on. But it's $150 or, or more right now. Like mm -hmm. it's hard to find it now for under, say, $175. Right. There's a part of me that goes, oh, is is this one that I would recommend or would I sooner tell folks, oh, you could get Spirit Island with an expansion and Flashpoint Fire Rescue and Pandemic. And like you said, I mean, that's totally a subjective thing there. I'm not going to be blowing my nose on a $100 bill. So I really don't know the feeling of, oh, I'm just going to go out and buy it. And if it is something that you, dear adventurer, have to put into consideration – you really got to put it into consideration here because a lot of that money spent isn't getting you gameplay necessarily and thought necessarily. It's getting you Bluetooth compatibility. The thematic immersion that an app introduces could be a downside, could be well worth it for people. The only thing that would make it even better is if this was Bluetooth compatible and you could use the tower as a speaker. <laughs> you can talk out of, out of the tower. You, you could be the big bad. <laughs> Scott, bit number eight was Return to Dark Tower fun, and who's it for? Well, I think you kind of figured out from us, yes, it was fun. I had a blast playing this game. It was a great time. A lot of times whenever I'm playing the new hotness, I'll sit there and I'm just like, okay, it was kind of good. I, I don't see all the excitement behind it. We try this. and be skeptical. Yeah, we go into it with trying to pull this thing apart, mm -hmm. but I enjoyed it. As far as who's this for, sure, this is for the person who knew about it or played it whenever they were a kid. I mean, it's playing on the nostalgia bit there, mm -hmm. but it's still updated enough and has that gameplay for anybody that wants an adventure type of game, that wants a next level type of game to play there or as you put it a storytelling type of game sure it has a great compatible way of playing it so cooperative i'm sorry i'm interested in the competitive i mean that could be kind of cool there yeah i want to give that a whirl that yeah that'd be really great 
it's for just about anybody. I mean, I don't see any one group that would benefit that from this more than anybody else, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts? Who's this for and was it fun for you? You bet it was fun. Scott, Return to Dark Tower gives us that cooperative experience, but each player has some agency in their game as everybody's got their own character powers, their own starting quarter of the board. It's a game that's kind of hard to quarterback when playing uh, cooperatively, which is one of the biggest hangups we find in co-op games, which as I mentioned earlier, I'm guilty of this myself (laughs) from time to time. It presents a challenge that's thematic, and it's challenging in its random insertion of events and and things that could happen. Frankly, I'm going to give it bonus points for the cool factor and the toy factor. Let's face it. We love the toy factor in our board games. You know what I mean? Like, okay, Kickstarters are half price if you take chits instead of minis. What's the one? uh, Dead by Daylight, I think, is up right now. Scott, Dead by Daylight, you can get the version of the game that's got four minis and everything else is cardboard for 50 bucks. Or you can get the version of the game that's got all the toys and it's a hundred bucks. <laughs> and I want to say if it's got 8,000 backers, 7,800 of them went for the hundred dollar pledge. We like to act fancy and feel mature. And, you know, we don't like toys in our games. That's a toy on the table. Let's be real. We do. It sells and there's a reason and I'm one of them. I like Toy Factor in my games. Who's it for? If you had a good time with midweight co-op games, your pandemic, your black orchestra, if you like thematic implementation of an app in games like Descent 2.0 or Destinies, maybe if your group's been playing light games, like you said, Scott, you've been going light and you want to take the next step. If the fantasy theme is going to hit home, then I think this is going to work with that group too. Yes. If you're the Euro Gamers Association of Westmoreland County, this isn't going to challenge your brain in a way that that's what you said. Oh, I can't imagine anyone not liking this. The only thing that I can imagine, like if you meet up with 18xx players and you play those those train games uh, weekly, that's that's your bread and butter. This isn't going to do anything for you. You know what I mean? It's it's not going to uh, give you the the mental challenge that you look for in your games. It's not devoid of it, but it's probably not going to be enough for you. I'm sure some folks turn up their nose at that toy factor too. I'm going to get back mm-hmm. to it. Or, or the fact that the game uses an app. Oh, that's a good one. Game uses an app. That's not a board game. That's a vocal minority. I think for 99% of gamers, Return to Dark Tower, it's going to be a hit. Yes. And I got to say here with the 18XX, in case you're listening, Mason, I did not say anything bad about 18XX games. So keep that in mind. Well, adventurers, there you go. That was our 8-bit breakdown of Return to Tark Tower. Tark Tower? Tark Tower. Let's do a time warp, Scott. In a post-apocalyptic world, cities have been destroyed, and what's left of them has become a playground for giant killer robots battling each other to earn sponsorships and tagging buildings with corporate advertisement for the viewing public. GKR combines deck construction with a miniature skirmish game. Scott, one year ago today we looked at GKR, Giant Killer Robots. We're going to change our look back template just a little bit, starting with how we felt about it then. This was a game that I remember seeing coming out at Origins. Mm. And they had a big 
model of one of the heavy hitters, one of the mechs. It was very cool. I was really amped to get it and play it. But I was looking at the price. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. But I got a chance to play it with you. I had a great time with that. It was fun because you had the combat of the mechs going against each other. But then also you're doing this thing with advertising. You're trying to post advertising on buildings as well. So it was a, an interesting combination there. And then getting the special items to make your mech a little bit different, a little yeah. bit better than everyone. You had the three different kinds of mechs, and you had uh, your basic tow truck or mechanic to go around and fix them. Really fun little game. I really enjoyed our play there. Well, how did you think about it then? I liked it then, said it then, and I'll still say I'm satisfied when it gets to the table. We just talked about Toy Factor with Dark Tower and GKR fits that build too with those giant like five-inch tall robots. They come pre-painted. I got to say though, man, this one is tough to get to the table because I'm usually – I mean, we do have that – we're playing new things most of the time, yes. But GKR is a game that's going to reward a group who plays it repeatedly and I think that that stems from the deck building at the start of play. Yes. You got to grasp on – you have to have a grasp on the game to appreciate the nuances of crafting the deck. I'd love it if a group of gamers wanted to play GKR every week for the next 10. I'd be all about that, and I think it would get me to the next level of appreciation of it. But as is any time I break it out, well, I have a fun time. It comes with that that caveat of me having to tell players, oh, don't worry about your deck building. Just pick two of these stacks, pick one of these stacks. Man, that's that's not as much fun as having players that completely understand their choices. Right. I think if you're going to play it a lot, you're going to love it. For me, it's a it is tough to to want to get GKR back onto the table because of because I know that I'm not going to be fully experiencing what the game's meant to be. Yeah, I I, I can understand that. So a year ago, we gave this game a solid rating. We wanted to, we'll say, temper that a little bit. We, uh, Whenever we're going to do our look back, Scott, I thought it'd be kind of neat to just go down like the BGG ratings a little bit and see what some of the common complaints are from other gamers. And I don't mean like we're going to poo-poo a game, but what are some downsides as identified from the community? And I got a couple here for you. There are a okay. lot of folks mentioning that like in a three-player game, it's king of the hill. And in four players, oh, yeah. you're hoping for like this big old slobber knocker of a match, but it turns into me versus you. And then the other two people, that guy versus that guy, you know what I mean? Like two one-on-one matches right. instead. Others called it a little bit sluggish and random considering the longer player time. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, having said that, do we recommend GKR heavy hitters? It's one of those games that the price kind of put me out of it to begin with. But now, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the price is not worth it because the buildings you get, the mechs that you get, it is a beautifully put together game. Mm -hmm. But this is a game that could have been priced much, much. uh, It could have been all chits and no actual robots. And this would be a $20 game. And I mean a $20, well, maybe a $35 game. It would be cards. A little board at that point and some chips. Right. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's one of those ones that could be really produced at a much lower rate. I mean, you look at uh, Battletech and all those mechs you get with that. And Mm -hmm. they're, what, uh, two, three inches tall or something like that. You could easily do something like that. A two-inch tall mech and the building's maybe four inches tall. 
and make just the same type of game there in a smaller board. It is a fun game, but I think it's one of those things where Cryptozoic was really trying to get their foot in the game and say, hey, look what we did here. This is an awesome game. Look at what it looks like on a table. But it could have been done at a much smaller scale and still had that same same type of impact. Sounds like your final thoughts are that you enjoy it, but it's a little bit more style over substance. Would that be fair? Oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, the substance, it's its not anything different than I've played in other games, probably. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the mechs draw you into this game to make yeah. it stand out differently. Well, I think I can recommend GKR Heavy Hitters for a game group that likes area skirmish, of course, but more so for a group that hits a game 10, 15, 20 times before moving on to the next. Is Like I said, it wants to hit regularly. You need players to fully understand the deck construction process. You can play it without people understanding that. Like I said, it, it's simple enough to, okay, pick these, pick these, we're ready to go. Oh, sure. But the game's meant to be played with people who understand that. It's easy to say, yes, I'd recommend a game for this group of people. I mean, if I do that all the time, you could literally recommend everything. <laughs> uh, a pot has every lid, right? There's yeah. a seat for every ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Scott, if we did a Venn diagram of every gamer type and created a robotic AI titled Average Board Game Enthusiast, I'd have to consider the increasing number of games that are just incredible and appealing to a broad swath of gamers – I don't think GKR is that, and I think for that reason, for most gamers, it's probably a pass. I think I would agree with you on that. Adventures, we have Adventures on Horizon. Now, this one, I did not get a chance to really take a look at, but I know I saw the box at your place, and I Mm -hmm. have seen this thing plastered in ads all over Facebook. So... What is this thing that is supposed to be Blade Runner the game, Citrus? Yeah. Scott, Citrus is designed by Sean Lee. It's for one to five players. This, as far as I can tell, is Sean's first designed game. But don't let that fool you. We've got a lot going on here. we got a worker placement set building engine builder that plays in about an hour and a half. Mm, okay. So theme. Uh, you remember Midgar in Final well, did you, you didn't do Final Fantasy VII, did you? No, I did not. Okay. Final Fantasy VII starts with Midgar. It's this city. It's this floating, not floating. It's not floating. It's a disc, like a plate in the sky held up by pillars. Okay. We've kind of got that here in Citrus, where those who live in Stratos are living on the, the disc up top. They're living the high life. But those underneath in the underbelly. They've got it rough. they got a harsh life. Okay. In this cyberpunk-themed game, you play as a rebel leader in that underbelly, trying to gain supplies and broker deals to punch your ticket into high society. And on the board, this means placing workers to build tubes and retain control of them to climb up to Stratos. So far, so good? So far, so good. All the while you're doing this, you're going to be gaining prestige. The game end is going to be triggered when a number of tubes have been built, and the player with the most prestige wins the game. Okay. Now, looking at the BGG page, and there's a lot of stuff going on here. How do you do these things? What What's the main gameplay mechanism in this? 
All right, well, let's let's start here. You've got a player board that's going to outline various life paths. The main mechanism was worker placement, no doubt. Okay. But you've got a player board that's going to outline various life paths that you might take. Think of these as like upgrade potential and the potential for resource generation. You can do that in the first phase of a round. Right. Next phase of a round, players send out their rebels to various action spaces and carry them out. That's going to range from like the loan shark, more resources, construction of tubes, even a space for like spreading in influence into the so if you're looking at a picture you see all those little like translucent yes. cubes that's the spreading of influence throughout the districts in the underbelly third you get to send your ship everybody's got a ship uh, right now in the prototype version that i had it was a standee you'll send it to a location you'll perform an action and finally the fourth phase of a round is clean up and paying off any debts that you might right. have this feels like there's a thing where you're just going around completing missions like uh uh bu- 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 Gito. So yeah. it's kind of, is it kind of like that or uh, it's it's a mission completion worker placement game. I think that's a fair enough assessment. It has the interaction though that you'd like to find in worker placement, but it couples it with an area control aspect. Right. As I say with those influence cubes, it's represented by those. You don't want to be building tubes for someone else right. yeah. to have access to them, you know? It stands out a bit, though, and that I really felt like I could pursue a number of different – you didn't get to play this one with no, me, I did, did you? Not. You said you didn't, huh? Okay. So, this one must have been with Mike and Brendan. Uh, it does feel like you can pursue different strategies and still have the potential to come away with a uh, win. Okay. Like uh, in Yido, you just got to hammer mission, mission, mission. This one, you've got a few different routes that you can take. Okay. It's an upcoming Kickstarter. It's a prototype. So, I mean, what are the components like? Do they have it built out? I mean, does it have a – uh, a, a, like a cool look to the table and everything while you're playing it? Oh, okay. Well, you said it. I had a prototype. Uh, it's a good one, no doubt, uh, but things are subject to change. So there's a lot of things, like the cards were a very base, like there's no linen finish. They got the square corners because they're sure. prototype cards. We see that from time to time. So a lot of it is we have to just keep following the updates to talk a little bit about it. First off, you get that cyberpunk theme. It's going to come through on the artwork. Okay. And they used a lot of neon in the game. Between the translucent cubes, the locations, there's oranges, yellows, like pink. It, it, it certainly plays on the theme. Your rebel leader mm-hmm. and your ship pieces in the prototype, their standees okay. worked out just sure. fine. If you're hoping for minis, hopefully the, uh, the Kickstarter is going to introduce them. But I kind of like the artwork of the characters adding the color to the board on those yeah, standees. Yeah, I think that standees are definitely overlooked there. I mean, I think they are just as playable as a miniature sometimes i like them better even like you said they are colored they have a vibrancy to them and other than Mm -hmm. okay it's gray (laughs) well we get that out of the way let's talk about where citrus is going to stand out on the table there's a couple reasons first we have an everdell tree (laughs) well a a strato city all right all right okay same as what we saw in Everdell with the big 3D assembly. Citrus has that representing that city. It's, I mean, it's eye-catching. It looks good. And then the tubes. You see all those little gray th- – I, I can see your eyes. You're checking this one out oh, on the yes. page. You see all those gray tubes? Going- those are stackable. So like we said with Earth, how the pieces for your uh, tree trunk, you stack yes. one on top of it. This is that but with tubes. They've got a notch under the bottom. Oh. They're cylinders. So that you stack them and by mid-game, you've got these things popping all up throughout the underbelly. It looks great on the table. And that leads me to believe that the final components of the game are going to be – very it looks good. like the cities that George Jetson lived in. Yes, exactly. That's my uh, Jetson mobile. Now, 
<laughs> you kind of caught me here with the cyberpunk and the look of this game. I mean, it looks like there's a lot going on here. So being that this is an upcoming adventure, I, I know it's going to be a Kickstarter. When's this going to be coming out? There is a lot going on here, and it's fun. The plan, Scott, is a launch on April 26th. Adventurers, you can check out previews on Citrus.com and sign up for early notification. Keep your eyes out for this one. I, I don't think you're going to hear a lot about it like uh, like you will something like a Marvel Zombicide or some of the other mega Kickstarters from companies that don't need to use Kickstarter to sell their games. This one is a grassroots game from a designer that comes from playing games. And quite frankly, it is good. It looks like a winner here. I mean, I'm definitely going to be looking at this one to back this one. It really looks cool. Before we wrap up our Citrus Talk Adventures, we do want you to know we were provided a prototype which we had to send on to the next reviewer. We are in no way, shape, or form compensated. We don't get a discount on the Kickstarter. Nope. Nothing. We just like it. Exactly. That's all we are here to do is just say what piques our interest and what we're going to be spending our shekels We on. have a lot of free time and we don't use it wisely, <laughs> No, no, we don't. <laughs> Adventurers, it's come to that time where we need to put our supplies back in our packs, mm -hmm. put out our sleeping bags, and get ready for a good night's sleep here, and rest up until we get our next adventure coming in. So before we do that, we need to see how did we level up since the last time we talked to each other. So Patrick, how did you level up? This is cool. As you know, Zaya, Legends of a Drift System, is one of my favorite games. Yes, we might talk is. about it next episode. We're going to be doing a level back. We haven't done level back for oh, a while. Yeah. We're going to level back and talk about some older games. So maybe Zaya will be one that, that I talk about. My buddy Mike played it with me, and he loves it. So much so that he bought the game. He bought the expansion. He bought the, uh, what is it, the Sellsword MK2. He bought the extra. Like, he literally has everything you can get for Zaya. And then he shows up one day. He, he called me on the phone. He's like, hey, Pat, I got to ask you for a favor. What is it, Mike? You're you're kind of artsy. You're kind of handy. Okay, sure, I, I suppose. <laughs> I bought this organizer for Zaya. It's made out of wood. He got one of those laser-cut wooden inserts. Oh, yes. He goes, I looked at the instructions twice, and I know I'm going to break it and screw it all up. Would you be a doll and put this together for me? <laughs> I got to put together the uh, – got to. I say this like it's a good thing. Now, you know what's convenient is his birthday is in like a week, so I, I did it for his birthday, and I've already given it to him. But oh. I had the chance to put together one of those wooden inserts. You have it for Blood Rage. I know you've done this before. I yes. never have. It's cool. I am so jealous of this thing. But that is my level up, a, a new stone unturned in the board gaming hobby, putting together a laser cut wooden insert for Zaya Legends of a Drift System. Very cool. Very, very cool. How'd you level up, Scott? Well, mine was Where'd you go on vacation? Kind of there. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere at all. On a personal note, yes, I do have a bit of battle with uh, depression at times, so get a little down, get a little mopey and things like that, and just don't feel like doing anything. And it's something a lot of people do deal with, and it's 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 a rough thing there. Mm -hmm. But I, just out of the blue, tried a meditation app. And I tell you what, it has done an amazing job on making me feel a lot better, a lot more up. 
a lot more excited about things. Oh, yeah. And I'm starting to feel like, see what people say about this meditation thing that, hey, there's something to it there. And it's it's something that I don't want people to feel ashamed about if they feel that way. I mean, hey, people have their down days. People have their battles and everything. And yeah, that's one of the things I do. But yeah, it really did a number on me and really made me feel a lot better, a lot more positive. Excellent. And it's a great feeling. And I definitely say anybody else out there, check it out. It's, uh, what is it? Uh, Calm, I think it is. Mm-hmm. We aren't sponsored by Calm or anything like that. Unless, <laughs> unless they want to say, you know what? We need a uh, board game podcast to sponsor here. So Calm, please let yeah, us know. Yeah, Calm's listening right now. Yeah, but uh, it's a great experience. It's a great feeling to feel up and positive about things. So I'm going to check on you. I'm going to keep tabs and make sure you keep doing that. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So that is my level up. Hey, Adventures, that's going to do it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Level Up Board Game Podcast. A couple weeks from now, we're going to be leveling back, taking a look at some older games. Our review is going to be Summit from our good friend Connor McGooey of Inside Up Games. We just found out from the Dice Tower this was Trey Parker's favorite game. Interesting little tidbit, but join us. We'll be talking old games. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, SCG Hobby is a game shop located in Latrobe. We're going to be doing our meetup there May 7th from 1 o'clock to 7 o'clock. And afterwards, Scott, you had an idea about maybe going and watching uh, Doctor Strange? Yeah, there is a movie theater right nearby here. Like walking uh, distance, other side of the lot. It's opening weekend for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, come game with us. we might have to get together and just nerd out completely on that day. If you come dressed up like Doctor Strange, (laughs) we'll give you bonus (laughs) tickets for the giveaway. Scott, I'll see you next time, buddy. Sounds good. You take care, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.